Jerry, Nick, everybody ready to go? Here you now, man. Good deal. Ready. Ready or not, I'm coming hot. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Raging Review podcast. Thanks for joining the Twitter space. Thought it was a good time to have a family conversation, if you want to call it that. Uh, baseball has some struggles over the weekend. A softball dropped a weird one, too. If you want to get into that as well, anything's on the table. But we mostly want to focus on Matt Deggs, the boys, uh, you know, opening up conference play with a sweep. Never how you want to start out. So we'll talk a lot about that. And uh, Jerry's got some basketball numbers that he wanted to share and kind of get into the discussion about the Marlin Farewell Tour uh, rumors. So anybody that's wanting to jump in, please do that. Send in a request. I'll approve it immediately. Uh, but from here on out, it's, it's up to you guys. You drive the show. So I'll kick it off. Um, thoughts about the weekend at Troy. Obviously, I spoke on the pod about how I thought the team was on an upswing. I was encouraged by their performance against Houston. Um, the big win against McNeese, where they really swung the bat well. And then I didn't really get concerned about this series until, obviously, eighth inning, second game. We're up three to one, give up two solo home runs. And at that point, I knew we were done. I knew we were done for the weekend. And then, sure enough, next inning, give up a run, we're done. Next day, not even competitive. So uh, my thoughts about the rest of the season forward and about how we got here, um, I know there's a, I know Deggs is under a lot of scrutiny. What I, I, I think my biggest, my biggest issue out of all of this is at the beginning of the season, we were told that this is a regional team and that we were going to be good. And I get we're only first weekend of conference, right? I understand that. But when you're told by the head guy that this is a regional team and you go in your first conference series and don't really look competitive and only score, the, what would we score, seven runs the weekend? I, you got to back up what, what you're saying. So am I pushing the panic button? Not yet, but my finger's on it because we have to turn around and host South Alabama next weekend. And there is a realistic chance that, that we start the conference season 0-6 in conference. And I don't know how you dig yourself out of that hole. So, yeah, I, I think that's my biggest issue is if you're going to talk trash and you're going to say that we're a regional team, we ain't looking at, like a regional team. And frankly, I don't know, I don't know if we'll be a regional team. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful we're a Sunbelt Conference tournament team at this point. <laughs> Yeah, um, <clears throat> for me, personally, you know, when it comes to Louisiana baseball, I have very high expectations, especially compared to even football. I mean, we know the, what the football team has done in the past two years. But when it comes to UL baseball, the past two, three years, I'm just sick and tired of the, the false promises, kind of what Nick said. Uh, we we were told that this team was going to be, you know, a regional team and look like it. I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen it from 
on both sides of the plate. Where it, pitching, I feel like pitching is just not what it was. Uh, sort of when you know Robichaux was around, and that's understandable. We know that that's kind of what Robichaux sort of was a specialty in. But I didn't think it was going to be sort of this bad. We we we've given up a lot of runs this year. Um, you know that McNeese game we gave up. I think it was eight, and we had to get it ten. And it kind of just seems like we're playing to the competition. If we score a lot, then we let up a lot of runs. If we don't score, then it's a you know it's a close ball game. It's low scoring. It's just inconsistent. Um, I I don't want to push the panic button quite yet, but I'm kind of on the same. And my fingers definitely on it. Man, I just want this team to be consistent. That's I just feel like we've been lacking that the past two three years. And like I said, my expectations are just so high, and I think it's because. I think as a university, we know that this is a, really the only true shot outside of softball that we have at a, at a national championship. You know, basketball and football, we don't really have that opportunity. But baseball, we do. And I think that's why the expectations are so high. That's why we built that big stadium for these kinds of reasons. And for us not to be proven it, you know, it kind of just sucked. Totally agree. Nick, before you go, I want to say uh, something real quick. You know, somebody brought up on the board a good point about how this team plays differently at home, and you brought up the point about the inconsistency. Still early, so, you know, there's things to still be figured out. There's something to be said about a team taking on the personality of its manager, and my feelings about how Deggs manages is well known, but I I will say this just from a, a nuanced perspective. If the team plays inconsistent and also plays more, quote unquote, with their hair on fire at home, that, that seems like a correlation of Deggs kind of lives on the edge and kind of flies by the seat of his pants based on how he feels and based on, you know, I find him to manage in a reactionary way. The, the team is going to eventually take on that mentality. So it's, it does not surprise me that they play better at home when we put 4,500 people in the stands and we're hollering and screaming and, and cutting up and, and, and behind them. They have that extra motivational push and that emotional push from behind the fans. It's also why you see Deggs constantly talking about the crowd and how it's really the important, uh, you know, ingredient in their success. So I think that that's something that we should be aware of. You know, maybe the, the reason why they're so inconsistent early in the season is that that small thing, that they really need that emotional push to play, you know, at a higher level. Yeah, I'll add on to that. Um, I... I... I mean, I'm a little surprised at the way we played this weekend um, in Troy. I, I didn't expect to get swept. I mean, even winning one game would have been good enough. Uh, I think the games on Saturday, we break, basically you're up 3 nothing in the sixth, and you let them come back and, and basically um, you basically give the game away um, through through a lack of a bullpen. Um, you know, you strike out 10 batters, and yet you give up uh, three, I think, three solo shots. Um, which isn't good, especially in the last three innings. Usually you want, it's like uh, Coach Rob used to say all the time before the game was over, in that last inning you put, what is it, three sunflower seeds, and you, you eat each one for every out. It's always difficult. You hope to eat all three, and uh, we couldn't do that. But I think what's frustrating for me, what I saw this past weekend, was just, you know, we, we left many, once again, left a number of guys, guys or a number of runners in scoring position. And when you go on the road, you know, it's very difficult to, to be able to get over that obstacle, especially a team like Troy. I mean, look, the weekend before they swept Indiana, uh, I think they're 14-5 and five now. They're like on a seven- or eight-game win streak. But 
we still had a chance to take that game on Saturday. I think I was more frustrated about that than than um, than the other two games. Uh, also, they hit six home runs on us this weekend, which is is a concern for me. We only had one home run in a park that carries out pretty well, and with the hitters that we have, we really didn't get the ball out. Um, so, I'm not ready to push the panic button yet. I do think we have um, a quality team offensively to make up for what we saw this weekend. I think what worries me more, and I said it last week going into the series, is we really haven't solidified our weekend rotation. And that's very concerning because you saw Friday, um, you know, Tommy Ray came in, had a few decent innings, but then, um, you know, he wasn't really hitting his location. And then you have BT come in, Tally, um, on Saturday and probably pitched his best game as a starter that I've seen in a Cajun uniform. But at the same time, he's known to be a reliever, um, you know, so you're putting him in a slot that he's usually not used to. And then, of course, yesterday, Jeff Wilson didn't really pitch his best game, complete, complete, completely different from what we saw against Houston. So um, overall, I just thought it was a bad weekend. And, uh, and I know uh, Matt Degg said that himself, you know, we just didn't play well. But um, you don't want to play games like this all the time, obviously, besides getting swept. But you, when you have opportunities to take games, especially the one on Saturday, you have to you have to take advantage of that, especially when you're on the road. Um, one thing is one thing I've noticed is we really haven't had um, outside of that one swing and round rock. This was our first real road test or road series um, of the year, and you know it's easy to take two or three from Houston when you're playing at home. It's easy to take two or three from Irvine when you're playing at home. But until we learn how to win on the road, um, you know, that's how you walk yourself into a 500 record. Now, do I think this team is a 500 team? No. But unless we get the pitching in order and unless we solidify our weekend rotations, that can come back to haunt us at the end. You know, uh, you saw it. You saw it again. You've seen it a few times this year. You can't beat teams out hitting them, um, especially in conference and teams that are familiar with you. So, you know, I know they're moving the game back uh, Wednesday. Uh, for the Nichols, because I know we have some impending weather tomorrow, but you know Nichols would be a great, a great game to kind of get some confidence back in this team. Last year, I think we scored nine runs on the road when we played them, and you know get some bullpen practice. So hopefully, we can kind of right the ship on Wednesday night and carry some momentum into this weekend series. Because remember, we got swept by South Alabama last year on the road, so we definitely owe them some payback. They're an old rivalry, but playing like we did against Troy. Uh, it doesn't look too promising if we play like that against South Al because South Al is, in my opinion, even a, an even better team than what we saw against Troy. South Al scored 35 runs against UTA last weekend. Think about that. Yikes. And held, and held UTA to 10. So, ain't looking good, my boy. No, it's not. And uh, here's the other thing about it. We talked about it here on the pod. Gainus is a legit Friday night ace. He's one of the best in the Sun Belt. I expected him to pitch the way he pitched. Uh, I didn't think we competed very well at the plate on Friday night, but I can tell you this. Brandon Talley gave you a chance to win on Saturday, and you didn't go out and take it. And then you come back on Sunday when everybody knows you got a hit to win on Sundays. Okay, Jeff didn't have a great outing, uh, but he wasn't helped in the field. And the other thing is that you made a freshman pitcher for Troy with an ERA of eight look like Nolan Ryan. I, I mean, you got to hit those guys late in the bullpen on a Sunday, especially with the talent that we have on this roster. I mean, I don't want to hear about the rebuilding stuff. You know, Troy is in the first year of their coach, and they're 14-5 and five and look pretty damn good to me. You know, uh, Deggs took Pierce's team at, Sun, at Sam Houston to, the, to a Super Regional in his second year. Billy Napier went 11-3 and three to, at the football program when he was, quote-unquote, rebuilding, and it was about 30 scholarships short of a full team. 
So this whole idea that we're still rebuilding, I don't buy that. I never will. Somebody made a comment earlier about having expectations in the baseball program. The reason why this baseball program is where it is is because we have a fan base that has expectations, and we should continue to expect, especially with, look, say what you want. Dex has had, he's had his fair share of success. There's no reason why he can't succeed here. We have everything you need. we got the facilities. We have the resources. We have the fan support. We've got the donors. We've got it all. He needs, he, I don't want to hear it. we got 20-plus JUCOs that are getting big-time playing time over the last two years. There's no reason why we can't find pitching. There's no reason. So, anyway, Nick, you've been waiting. Go ahead, man. I don't know, dude. All this rebuilding stuff, I mean, you're right. Um, I don't know. It's uh, weird. I mean, I think where we're at is because of Rogue. Um, He was consistent. Yeah, we had a few years of maybe downsides, but we knew what he he was capable of. And when we we saw that, we're like, holy shit, this team's going to do good this year because we know it. I don't know. Uh, I think Dex is a good coach. Definitely not where we want to be 100%. I don't think any fan wants, wants this. But I don't know. I'm just popping, talking shit off the top of my head right now. Uh, my thing is, why in the hell is TR, I think he's a great player, no doubt. Met him many times. Uh, why is he playing all the positions? If I was a third baseman or first baseman and TR was playing my position, I'd be like, what the hell is going on? Maybe it's my fault. But does this dude... Can this dude play every damn position on the field? Like, the charisma, I don't know. Everything's got to be up. And I just feel like whenever we hit, we put our tails between our legs and we mope. And it's just annoying to see. I just kind of, I don't know. What, what do you all think? I'll go first. If, you, if you're looking for answers from all three of us, I'll say this. Why didn't Jace Conrad play third base, first base, center field? Why didn't Mike Strentz go from catcher to third base to center field? Why didn't... Why didn't Ryan Leonard's move from third to second to first? Why, why didn't that happen in 2014 hey, and 2013? Just, just put TR on the field. Let him play all nine positions. Yeah, it's like that old Bugs Bunny cartoon. You know, Bugs Bunny on first base, Bunny on second base, Bunny on third base. I mean, that's how it feels. You know, I don't care what anybody says. Baseball is an extremely mental sport. And and I understand that Deggs wants guys that can play the positions, and they, he doesn't want excuses, and I get all that. And to a certain degree, there's a lot of value in that. I, I understand the mental toughness side of it. I, I, I applaud that mentality. But at the, at the end of the day, man, find some continuity where people can settle into a role. This is not travel baseball. This is D1 high-stakes baseball. You know, Rockefort is by far our best first baseman. He should never move. I understand Max had an injury, and I understand you got to make some changes in the outfield. But you have four, maybe five competent outfielders. Let, let, let's this figure. might not make sense. This might not make sense, but look at Cleveland Browns. They have a freaking roller coaster or a carousel of coaches and quarterbacks. There's nothing consistent. So, therefore, I don't even know how fans show up knowing that all that shit's going on, but that's some dedicated ass fans. But that just <laughs> has got to be, that's got to be annoying sitting on the couch saying, man, we're always going to be picking first. Why do you ever want to pick last in the draft? If you're picking last in the draft, you're doing something absolutely right. It's, it's incredible. You know, J-Bo is one of my favorite guys on the team. He's a great dude. I love him as a utility player. He's not a first baseman. And I know he didn't play particularly poorly on Friday. I'm not saying that he did. But why is he in the line? He's coming off of a rib injury, and he said himself it's still sore. Why did we have to insert him into the lineup? Why did that have to happen? I, there's small – like, why move TR? Rinconis is hitting. Put him at second base. I mean, if you're going to move these utility infielders around, why not move Warner, who's starting to hit, lead TR at third base, who's he's proven he can play well there. 
You know, instead he goes out and makes two errors this weekend. I, I just don't believe in that style of managing. I just don't. That's a personal thing. I'm not saying it can't be successful. I just don't believe in it. You know, I'm not a baseball coach. I'm just a fan. But I do know that momentum carries its weight um, when playing any sport. And sometimes I feel that, look, don't get me wrong. You've got guys like Warner Rancones. You've got Rockford. You've got uh, T-Rob. Like you said, T-Rob plays just about – I mean, he's almost like Taysom Hill with the Saints. You ask him to play anything, he'll do it. I mean, he'll even – you know, he'll even be a, a sell peanuts, you know, uh, in the in the fourth inning if he has to <laughs> in his full uniform. Uh, but, yeah, I just I just think sometimes I, it makes me wonder. And, and look, again, not not the fact that I'm a coach or anything, but it makes me wonder what coaches are thinking when they move players around, especially mul- not just one guy, but multiple guys and use them as utility players. Um, you notice T-Rod made some errors at second base the other day. And the first question that came up to me was, what is he doing at second base? Um, you know, he solidified his position in the outfield. He has solidified his position at third base. I understand you're trying to put Warner Rinconis at third because he's, you know, because of his, uh, his bat getting better. But, you know, a lot of times, and I know you're trying to build your lineup as well, but a lot of times I watch and, you know, sometimes it just, when I watch some of these guys in these certain positions, they don't, they look kind of out of place. Uh, if that makes sense. Uh, they look a little bit out of place. And, um, you know, I know Bobby Lede hasn't really been playing his best at second base, I know really we're, we're kind of trying to find a second baseman. If you saw Clark, I believe it was Clark that started yesterday. I think it was the first game since Indiana he, he started. So I, I know it, it seems like we're trying to keep well, – we're still trying to find that, that one solid lineup. And yet you still have bats that are good enough to carry you and good enough you know, guys like Kimple who has been DHing, but he can also play left field. You guys got like guys got like you have guys like T Rob, but you know, if you're trying to put him in the lineup, you still got to put him in position in the outfield or in whether on defense to give them the best chance to succeed defensively. Because um, on the other hand, when you start playing teams that can hit like you played against Troy, you saw what happened on on Friday night. I mean, you can't go match, you can't match toe to toe with them uh, defensively, and so. I'm one of those people that just I just like the, the the solid lineup. I like the consistent lineup, just because of momentum, right? So hopefully, moving forward, we can just kind of find some of these guys to solidify these positions, especially at second base. I mean, you know, again, Washington T. Robinson second base was kind of kind of odd to me, but I don't know. Again, I'm not a coach, but I just notice, you know, momentum is momentum does carry you a lot of times, and when that momentum gets taken away, you start to see some. Uh, some deficiencies, if you will, uh, on defense. So this this may not make sense, but take it as you will. I think it makes sense. Imagine like you making your NCAA bracket and you win the whole thing. You look like a damn genius. There's going to be some Cinderella's in there. I guarantee you didn't take them because they're a Cinderella team and everybody wants to stop teams to get in. Anyway, you look like a genius when you do that. If LSU rotates their people, um, Oregon State, Vanderbilt, you know, the top, you know, D1 baseball programs, if they if they rotate and they go on a 20-game, 15-game win streak, they look like a genius. So until, I don't know, like, I, I mean, let Deggs go on a 20-game winning streak, and I guess he looks like a genius. I don't know. You're not the first person to say that. Nick D., what do you think, bud? I mean, I just, again, I'll bring it back to consistency um, with everything, with the lineup, with the pitching, with the performance, with the fielding. I'm just looking for consistency because we've, I mean, obviously, they're all D1 athletes. They're here for a reason. We, you know, um, they're they're all good players, 
But for some reason, and I think to, to Jerry's point about not having a, a consistent lineup, you get players that get tentative at their position when they're not used to playing it every day. So, yeah, I mean, if he goes on a 20-game 20, 20 win streak, I'll be right here telling, you know, singing the praises of, of Degg. And, uh, but, but for right now, like I said, my biggest issue is the fact that we're promised a regional team and we got a team that we're hoping to make the Sunbelt Conference tournament this year. So, um, I, I don't have the answer because again, I'm not a coach, but, but we got to do better. We got to do better before the natives start getting restless. I, I got to say this. Let's all agree that none of us are coaches, right? The, the, the term, <laughs> the, the, the term, I'm not a coach drives me nuts. Of course we're not coaches. Look. Sorry. No, 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 no. This is the thing. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. You got me into that one. I, I don't need to be a coach to have some freaking common sense. We've been watching this baseball team. I mean, Nick's been around probably 35 years. I've been around 30 years. Jerry, you're 25, 20 years. I, I don't need to be a coach to be able to see, to know what I'm looking at on the field. I mean, you can see patterns and trends start to emerge. That has nothing to do with being a coach. It has something to do with having a freaking brain and watching the game and being involved with the game for two, three decades. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with Josh. You know, uh, I never was big on the Degg hire. I mean, when he came from Sam Houston, those guys were glad to get to see him go, to be honest with you. I think the guy was an emotional hire. Uh, I think he's a great assistant coach. I just don't think he can manage the whole program. Uh, I'm just sick and tired of seeing these lineup changes over and over. You know, you got TR that didn't play one of our better players, and then we bring him in like the fourth or fifth inning at a position that he's probably never played second base with a guy that started that don't even have no ABs. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, you know, and what's going on with the dirt kid? I mean, we just can't. Uh, is it a mental thing, Josh? What do you think is going on with him? Well, I told you all last year what I thought. I thought that they broke him. I understand that you got to be tough at some point, and, and there are people that believe that, and I understand. And Dirk is not a baby. He's a, he's a big boy. He's a grown man. I understand all those things. When you're a freshman and they tell you, hey, here's the ball, go be my opening day starter against Tulane, who was on the border of being ranked, if you guys remember last year. When you hand the kid the ball and say, we have this much confidence in you, and then you proceed to leave him out to dry against USM when it was clear to everybody in the park that they had your pitches, and they just left him out there and left him out there. I mean, I, I could, it, you could feel him just deflating as he was pitching. I mean, I felt sorry for the kid, and I was the first one to get on there and say, look, that was dangerous what they did. He is a freshman. And now that people around Vermillion Parish, now they know they watch him pitch. And they say now, it's kind of starting to come out, that he kind of had some control issues, but it was more he needed to, he needed to be shown confidence. He needed to be shown that people trusted him, that he would go sideways if he didn't feel trusted and supported by his coaching staff. Well, apparently the people who recruited him here didn't know that. Because they did the, the absolute worst thing you can possibly do to a guy like Dirk. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. I thought it was dangerous then, and I think you're, you're seeing right now the, the fruit of that, of that decision that night. And the way they tried to work him back oh, in was terrible. Yeah, we let the guy, we let the guy hang, I mean, we let the guy hang, hang out the garage, I mean, to die big time. I mean, you don't go from the opening day Friday night starter as a true freshman to not even get dirt, dirt on your cleats now. Something, something's wrong with that. The guy has elite stuff. He really does. I mean, how many in recent memory have we had here that will touch 96, 97 constantly from the, from the right side? I mean, I can't tell you one that was. Maybe, maybe Hogan Harris. Hogan. But Hogan was a lefty. 
So, oh yeah. So, so that's a little bit different, but still, I mean, you got power arm, a power arm like that that's sitting on the bench. BJ Ryan couldn't do anything with him after that first, that first, uh, that the USM night I'm talking about. BJ Ryan was about as hands off as you could be. He was very the way that Deggs approaches hitting, where it's mental and and mentality and all that stuff. That's how BJ was with pitching. Only problem with BJ was that, you know, from what I was told, he wasn't he wasn't able to call his own shots. He was being overruled in a lot of these decisions. You know, you had guys not even knowing when they were going out to start. Uh, I I think that my biggest issue with Deggs to this point is the way that we just we cannot handle a pitching staff. And I know that we're, as, as Robe fans and as Cajuns fans for the last however many years, we are spoiled to a certain degree. And Robe was able to recruit amazing talent and develop that talent in his sleep. I mean, the guy was gifted. But let's be honest. I mean, there's too much talent around here. We have too many pipelines and too many relationships to not still be able to get at least capable pitching for this conference especially. I'm sorry, guys. There's just no way you go to Troy, Alabama, and get swept to open conference. We're still playing uh, carousel on the infield over there. I just don't understand it. This is not Tuesday night against McNeese. This is conference play. So, <clears throat> do y'all think it's more of a recruiting issue for Debs or a player development issue? I mean, because I don't, I don't know if I can, you know, say that we are more talented than, let's say, USM or even like LA Tech, or are they just developing their players at a much higher level than what we are right now? I don't know what Deggs is seeing, you know, in terms of, you know, the approach, but it just seems like we're just a little, we're like one step behind the talent, and that can easily be attributed to the development of these pitchers, especially pitching, because I think pitching is just not where it needs to be right now, but also hitting, you know, the stats of the average, bat average for the team not where it needs to be. I don't know if it's more of a development issue or a recruiting issue. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'll say that I think that we had the talent to win last year from an offensive standpoint, and our pitching staff was probably better. It, it, no, it wasn't probably better. It was better. You guys realize we had two top 10 draft picks, two top 10 round draft picks, and we won 30 games. I, that, if you stop and think about that, go back and look at our whip numbers. Go back and look at team ERA. We should, we should have won 35 to 40 games in the regular season. We, we, we managed our way out of so many wins. This year, I don't think it's a talent issue. I, I think it might. Look at Chipper. Look at Chipper Menard, okay? Sometimes he goes out there and he looks unhittable. Now, that's two out of ten times. But he, you know, they fall in love with these spin rates. This guy's got a crazy spin rate, so they just want to keep giving him chance after chance. That is a, that's a project to me. Chipper is a project, but they keep running him out there. One of the reasons why they keep running them out there is because we're paper thin. I, I, you know, I talked about this early on before the season started, but you lose Blake Marshall, another power lefty out of the pen. It didn't look like a huge loss because a lot of people don't know him. He didn't get a ton of innings last year, but that guy's a weapon out of the pen. Uh, Lafleur, another one. Uh, he's he's 90-91. Uh, you know, he'll touch ninety two from time to time, but he's got really good breaking stuff. He has, uh, I think he has an inflamed shoulder. I can't remember exactly what he has, but he has a little issue that he's dealing with. He's supposed to be back soon. That's going to help. But outside of that, I mean, who really stands out? You know, I thought Tommy Ray looked excellent against LSU in the fall. I thought, um, I thought Dirk had a real chance to come back and, and fix some things, but it, all of these guys are unknowns, man. You know, Brandon Talley is a reliever. He's a long reliever. And, and he gave you your best chance to win on Saturday. 
It's not adding up. Things are not adding up. And look, I like Coach Thibodeau a lot. I like Seth Thibodeau. He's, for a long time, he had the the respect of Tony Robichaux. And anybody who earns the respect of that man, I look up to. So he knows baseball. He's a very mild-mannered, calm dude. He's he's kind of the antithesis of Deggs, where he never gets emotional, and Deggs is mostly emotional. So I like the dynamic between the two. And, and look, it's a change in pitching, Coach. There's always going to be unforeseen things when you have a change in a, a leadership role. So maybe it's some of that. Maybe it's some of, you know, again, lack of consistency, lack of cohesiveness. If we make a regional this year, I will be very happy, obviously, with with any other fan. Uh, the journey, you know, the journey could be bumpy. Uh, some teams make the journey look hella easy. But if, if Deggs is still trying to figure it out, so be it. But if he doesn't make a conference championship game in the next two years, then it's like, all right, my guy, you may have to step it up or hire me. Yeah, it's not impossible, you know. And I, I prefaced my comments earlier by saying it's, it's not just impossible. frustrating. It, it is. It's frustrating to watch. And I, I know as a fan on Sunday, that was probably one of the more frustrating games that I've ever watched because. I knew we we just came on out there, laid an egg, and just, you know, okay, well, let's go home and try again. So it, it can be done, and this could all turn around tomorrow. I think I, – I'm not sure that the pitching is going to be figured out tomorrow, you know. I, I think the hitting there, – there's enough talent in the lineup once they can get it together and have a consistent lineup. Um, I think we'll be fine. But they're going to have to – they're going to have to hit their way through the season, the conference tournament. You know, that, and and most teams are in that same position in the conference tournament, but we don't even know who our Friday night guy is going to yeah. be. We, we still, still have some very, very good teams to play. South Alabama, LSU, Tulane, um, other Georgia. people. Who, I mean, yeah, yeah Georgia Southern's a top five RPI. I mean, we got South Al and Georgia Southern next two conference games. Yeah, Texas we'll, State can easily Texas go. State's the best team in our league. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can easily go 0-3 to start the season in conference play with those South Al and Georgia Southern coming, you know. Who do we play? Who's the third? Is it Texas State, the third um, conference series? Texas State. Or fourth, excuse me. Te- Texas State is the second-to-last series of the season. Okay. And we got to mm-hmm. go, no, go to San Marcos. Yeah, I'm just talking about the next two. I mean, you still got to really tall them on the climb with, you know, your, your rival in South Al and then Georgia Southern's record doesn't look good, but, I mean, they played – probably a top five schedule in the country. So, I mean, they're no slouch. And, he, hey, even ULM, they went 1-1-1 one, one, and one against Coastal. And the last Sunday night, they Sunday afternoon, they tied at 17-all. So, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Coastal any good? They're okay. They beat Wake Forest okay. in the midweek. But still, I mean, they're, they're a baseball tradition. So, you know, they always probably going to be fighting, have a fighting chance for a regional. Yeah, the, right now it definitely looks ugly. But let's just see where we end for sure. Like, if we could be twenty and zero right now, absolutely, hell yes, I'm all for it. Like, who isn't? Well, it goes it goes back to what we talked about earlier. We we need. And I know how many, I don't know how many times I have to reiterate this. We have not solidified a weekend rotation. I mean that that is so important and so huge. And and I had concerns going into the season. Look, let's be honest. Losing both Spencer Arrigetti and Connor Cook back to back in top ten rounds. I mean, for any. Any school, I mean, not even mid-majors, but even T5, like that, that affects your, your, your pitching rotation. But, you know, seeing guys like uh, Dirk and a few others where you would think, okay, they're going to improve this year, 
haven't really seen much of that. Uh, I know Shiflett right now, you know, he, he started the first game Friday night against Bond. Seen him in relief a little bit, but, you know, I'm at the point now where even I, I'm, I'm willing to give him a shot. I mean, most of the time on Saturdays, even before Brandon Talley was named starter against Troy, I think three straight weekends before, we didn't have a Saturday guy ready to go until like that day. So um, I, I think that's very important to be able to find consistency on the mound that Friday and Saturday. Now, you know, Jeff Wilson, he's, he's been, he's been doing a great job so far. I mean, obviously he didn't play the best, his best game on Sunday, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's the one guy, the Sunday starter, usually the Sunday starters, the, you know, the, the guy that you, you can expect to try to take the series and hit against. And that's the one pitcher that we have consistently uh, as a, a weekend starter. Um, I, I'm very concerned about that. That, that is, that is my biggest uh, worry moving forward now because I, I thought that the this, this schedule was going to get a little bit easier, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm starting to see some good teams in this conference, like you guys said. I mean, Texas State, they're tearing the ball off. Georgia Southern's playing great. South Alabama, South Alabama. Uh, I mean, don't be surprised if you have to go on the road to places like App State and have some problems. So I'm just <laughs> – I'm I'm worried about that that weekend rotation. I just think we need to solidify that lineup like now, <laughs> sooner well, than mean, later, at least. We all are, and you should be. If if I asked you right now, who's the ace of the staff? You couldn't give me a name. The the one consistent guy is Jeff is Wilson. Well, I yeah, mean, but Jerry, Jeff Wilson. I mean, you, you can't win tournament agreed. games with Jeff Wilson as the best pitcher on your staff. It's just well, not, that's my point. You're not, that, first that's of all, we point. can we are competent offensively, but we cannot hit our way through a tournament. Not going to happen. No. No, I, I agree, and, 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 and that's what you see with a lot of these teams that, that hit well. A lot of times, even the even your best of the best teams that are top 10 in the country, they hit so well, but then they go to Omaha and they, they freeze because they don't have the pitchers to carry them. You start playing teams with good pitching that know how to play against your bats, and, and a lot of times, usually the one or two seeds bow out early because they don't have the, the pitching. I mean, if you look at your best teams that win national titles, um, you know, usually it's because they have three pitches and they usually don't even hit that well, to be honest with you. Um, that's one thing that I found uh, great about Tony Robichaud's teams. There were some years where we didn't really hit well. I mean, we did okay for the most part, and there were some years where we would mash, but there were some years that were pitching carried us uh, many times. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, <laughs> I understand offense is great, offense is entertaining, but again, you can't, you're not going to beat teams. Uh, scoring seven runs and giving up 10 every game. And I'm starting to see that pattern like this week, you know, a game on, I can't, and, and the game again, like the game Saturday, right? You're up three, nothing in the six. You're pitching great. You know, everybody's doing great on the mound. BT looked great on the mound. Menard came in, pitched some decent, decent uh, throws. Bonds did a decent job. And then they started giving up home runs. That's concerning. So, I think we're a little bit more depleted on that end. And look, after this year, regardless of what happens, we need to go find some pitchers. Go get some Juco starters. Go find somebody. Because even then, like last year, you look at guys like Connor Angel, but it was an all-conference, all preseason all-conference. He didn't. He, he, he left, you know, um, and a few others like that. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to see that pattern where uh, early in the season, you're the Friday guy, and then by the end of the season, you're barely playing. So. I don't know what that I don't know what that is, but it, it's 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 definitely uh, definitely makes me raise my eyebrows. Well, you, you talk about good hitting. I'm gonna just pull up some some rankings for y'all. So this is out of 293 teams. Base on balls, we rank 258. Batting average, 206. OPB, 
253 out of 293, runs 203 out of 293, scoring 224. We do have the top eight in triples, though, so and steals. So, I mean, that, like I said, it, it's, it looks like a lot of runs, but, I mean, we, I don't know. Statistics tell the, tell the opposite. Yeah, look, we need better pitching. We can get that guy, Reed Vansall, from uh, Bellhaven. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, no, dude. Yeah, look, look, the, 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 most, the, the most concerning part about all that is that those numbers are bad on, on the face. But with, they're even worse when you have a hitting coach as your head coach. The roster is built to win at the plate. I, I don't think anybody will argue with that. Deggs is a, a hit-first guy. I understand that he puts, you know, he puts a correct amount of, of attention on the other facets. I understand that. But nobody's going to argue that he doesn't try to hit to win. And, I mean, Seth just read the numbers. That's pretty putrid, man. And, and look, I understand we've played a tough schedule. Georgia Southern has played a tough schedule, too, and I guarantee you they're not that low in offensive standings across the board like that. What I don't understand it, though, is sometimes we want to manufacture runs, sometimes we don't. And, well, like, perfect example this weekend, runners on first and second, nobody out. Base running mistake, get thrown out, double play, we're out of the inning. Like, don't even, I mean, we're not even competitive in those situations. And then if we're by 13 runs, you know, we're, we're laying down a suicide squeeze. So uh, even even our offense at this point is kind of inconsistent in what we're going to do. So I don't know, man. I, I wish I had the answer, but it's just it's a little perplexing. Like you said, we're built to hit. We're bu- built to score runs. Sometimes we do against average and below average pitchers. And then if we face a, a good arm, then, then we, we just fold. It goes back to that in-game kind of fly by the seat of my pants, how do I feel right now? You know, I think, I think Deggs has a little bit of Sean Payton in him where a lot of times he just, he, he just outsmarts himself. Like that smartest guy in the room thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you by surprise and all that stuff. I, I don't see why, with the talent we have right now, the way the roster is currently constructed, I don't think you have to outsmart people. We're fast. We're athletic. We can hit. I mean, we have some guys who can make, you know, uh, the clutch at bats, they, they're, they're able, they are able to come through. They've shown that. I, I think that we hold ourselves back with how we approach offense. And that, you know, I did not expect that from Dex. Yeah, that is quite surprising, especially since we're supposed to be an offensive team. Josh, what do you think of uh, Jake Wells? Do you think that, uh, Deggs handcuffs him or what? I think Deggs ultimately has a say-so over everything. But I also think that Jake Wells is probably going to be here for this year and then he's going to move on. Because he's Jake Wells has the pedigree. He has the talent. Uh, he's well thought of in co- coaching circles. He's going to be a head coach somewhere. That's what I think. The, the thing about Jake Wells and, and Deggs is their, their philosophies are very similar. You know, They don't try to overcorrect. They don't try to tweak mechanics. And they don't try to overhaul your swing. They want to teach you a, a mentality and an approach. They don't want to make you a, a minor league baseball player like JT used to do, you know, completely change a kid's swing as soon as he walks into the program. Used to drive me nuts. Uh, so as far as Jake, I think Jake's going to get an opportunity to be uh, a head coach somewhere or, or maybe a man, a second man in charge. Yeah, and I'll say, look, if we – I know I've been super negative this whole time about, about what we have done up to this point. If and when we figure it out, especially hitting, but if we can figure out um, a rotation soon, like this weekend, and if we can get the bats going, I mean, they can be a really dangerous team 
But that being said, they can also be a McNeese team and then turn into a Troy team. So until I see a little bit of sustained improvement, I'm going to still have my finger on that panic button because um, up to this point, we've, we've got, what, a quarter of the season through, and here we are, still no rotation, and we can repeat that over and over again. So I don't know. We can be a dangerous team. I'm not saying we don't have the talent. We have it. There's a reason they were rooted here. We just got to put it all together, and I wish I had the answer. I wish all, any of us had the answer as, as to what to fix it. Nick, how, how much of a leash do you think Dex has? I mean, how much time does Magger give him to get this right? I mean, if we go another year, two or three, without getting to a regional, I mean, does it, it does it become a time that we just chase him off and move on? Um. So yeah, I think I think he'll get. I mean, definitely he'll get this year. I think he'll get another couple of years. He needs to in the next couple of years. I mean, get into the championship game in in the tournament or win. Uh, or be the, the the number, I guess you could say, now it's division. He did that last year. He won the West Division. I, I, yeah, I think it's a couple years. I think he needs to show improvement. He needs to, he needs to win in the tournament. He needs to win the tournament, um, obviously, and get in the, in the regionals. I, I think if we're not in the regionals in the next three years, you're probably going to start hearing chatter. But if we don't make any noise in the tournament in the next year or two, I think, I think it starts heating up big time. Um, because this, and we'll talk about basketball in a little bit, this isn't basketball, and we should have that same winning tradition in basketball, and we should have the same expectations in basketball as we do every other sport, and we don't. That's unfortunate. But I don't think he's going to get 13 years to make one regional. I don't think that's going to happen in baseball. I think he'll get a couple years, and then um, by that time it will be five years, right? And five years, no regional, I think, I think we'll, we'll be looking elsewhere. I think it also depends on how we finish. Um, I think it also depends on how we finish in the conference. Even last year, um, in the offseason, Deg said that, you know, that's not the brand of Raging Cajun baseball that we're used to or that we expect. And yet we still won the division, um, like Nick said. I mean, that, that, that tells the fans that, oh, we still won the division, but at the same time, we can do better. And so I think that's what's been the most disappointing perception-wise is when you hear things like that in the offseason and then you go, you go toe-to-toe with an LSU in the fall, you come in saying we have a regional team, and then you go take two out of three against the Irvine team that was ranked number 14 that weekend, and then you go and, you know, take care of business against a good Houston team, and then up until now, um, you kind of look back as a fan and go, huh, this is not what I was told, you know, before the season started. Why are we 9-10, and 10, right? To answer your question, Jared, I do think uh, this year, next year, Definitely, we'll see next year where, where we are. We'll see how we finish this year. But at the same time, you know, I, I don't expect this team. I don't expect this team to to fold by any stretch. I do think this team claw its way out of it. But at the end of the day, um, it is about results. And you know, if last year was considered a disappointing season and you won the West, I can only imagine what it would be like not winning the West this year, right? Or at least I don't know. I don't think it's divisions this year. I could be wrong, but uh, not at least competing at that that top level. How much time does Dex get? I mean, I think, I think like Nick said, this year, next year, maybe one more year if there's if they show improvement. But you know, five years without a regional, that's not the standard that we're used to here of Raging Cajun baseball. So, um, I think it, it's the circumstance at which we finished. I mean, if we finish in the top three, and you know, we're the the first four out or the last four out of like a bubble team, that's one thing. But 
if we're finishing the season 500, then yeah, I mean, that's how you get your seat pretty hot with a sport like this here at UL. Hey, Lane, before you go, I just want to encourage anybody else. We're going to spend a few more minutes on baseball. If you guys have anything at all you want to add, go ahead and request to speak, and I'll approve it right away. So, I know we uh, are talking about divisions. There are not divisions this year. For whatever reason, they decided to go against divisions, and I believe the top 10 out of 12 teams make it to the tournament. Hey, Lane, you sound like shit. Fix your phone. I can't hear you, buddy. We're losing you. I'll, I'll speak for Lane. I heard him. He said that uh, that this year they're doing away with divisions, which I, I'm not sure that I even paid attention to, but they're doing away with divisions and top, taking the top 10 out of 12 teams to the tournament. Isn't that how we used to do it? Yeah, that's how old school used to be. Yeah, Correct. I prefer that. All right, anybody else have comments on baseball? We're going to move on to some uh, some basketball business. And uh, I see Andrew Richard's in here, and I know he wants to holler at me about Bob Marlin. So I'll give him the floor as soon as he requests to speak. But uh, Jerry did some digging about the, uh, the the budget and some numbers on Bob. Jerry kind of drive the bus on this thing. But, um, yeah, basketball is trying to pull a fast one. So, All right. So I did some, you know, I, I've had the chance to speak to a bunch of fans um, around, well, around the fan base really over the past few weeks. And, you know, there, there's been a little bit of rejuvenation amongst some of the fans uh, after the way we finished the four games in March that count, uh, even though we got we went three for four um, before losing to, to Georgia State in the, the Commerce Championship game in Pensacola. But, you know, I found something interesting. I spoke to a few people and I did some research, and, and really I'm getting a pattern with, with fans that are really, really loyal to the program. I'm hearing things like, you know, we don't have money and the assistants aren't getting enough money and um, you know, the players are trying, you know, we don't want players to transfer out to make a change. And, and that's fine and dandy. I, I get it. I, I understand. Um, and I've heard this from multiple people. And so I decided to do a little digging, do a little research. And the, the one that stuck out to me, uh, apparently uh, our, our athletic program gives money to football. So uh, basketball doesn't have the resources necessary to compete. Okay. That was odd. So <laughs> I went ahead and, and did some research and, um, really what triggered it was uh, St. Peter's. Um, for, I mean, obviously, most of you know in here, St. Peter's upsets Kentucky uh, last Thursday night, 15 seed, and now they're playing in the 316. And the reason why St. Peter's stuck out, besides the obvious reason or the obvious fact that they beat Kentucky, was, of course, we remember St. Peter's, um, uh, you know, coming into Lafayette as a baseball, uh, for baseball, and basically ruining our season and our RPI for going winless. Uh, and so that's why I decided to tweet on the Razor and Review Twitter account. I was like, you know, uh, remember that team that came last yet and went winless, basically busted our RPI and kept us out of a regional? Well, that same team busted brackets around the country just now uh, against Kentucky. And one thing that stuck out to me with St. Peter's uh, when I did my research, I'm like, you know, what is their basketball budget? Believe it or not, uh, St. Peter's win over Kentucky is the – I think it's the largest budget discrepancy between two schools in a March Madness tournament upset. Um, I want to say Kentucky's budget is some basketball budget is somewhere around uh, 16 to 17 million. And St. Peter's is a whopping 1.6 million. Um, And they also have, I think their school has around 2,300 students. They play in a gymnasium that is probably smaller than Lafayette highs. And they have a coach that makes $250,000. And they will be playing uh, this coming weekend in the Sweet 16. And, of course, my first reaction, I'm sure many of you are asking the same thing, why can't we do that? Exactly. So, 
talking to people, um, I, when I, when I saw the $1.6 million basketball budget that St. Peter's had, I decided to do some digging of my own. And cause I've, again, I'm hearing people saying that we have no money. Basketball has no money. And you know, the athletic department, you know, takes the money from whoever and gives it all to softball or, or football. And, you know, we have no money to do anything with. So I, I did some research, and, and I'm going to correct my research. Um, I, I was able to speak to a few people to clarify on some things because I was furious. So I did some research on the all of the basketball budgets from the year 2020. Uh, a lot of budgets really haven't been updated since 2021. But um, I think for the 2020 stats, there's a site. Um, if I forgot what it was. I'll send the link if anybody asks. But if you go for all 360 D1 basketball schools, um, if you can actually pull up an Excel spreadsheet of all of the budgets, and of course Kentucky and Duke and North Carolina, they're all you know number one, number two, number three. I think the UL is at 158, but in the conference now again we have no money, right? Our budget is number two in the Sun Belt Conference behind Georgia State. So when I hear fans say we have no money and that's why we can't win and can't succeed and I see the fact that we're the, we have the number two budget in the conference it makes me kind of scratch my head going wait a second hold on now Jerry for clarity, right for clarity that's operating budget right what we spend on basketball annually it, it, it's expenses yes it's expenses I, I yeah I went and did the research I looked it up I saw that blah 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 how is it that we have and, and also to my add, this is from 2020 now I went to look at the state auditor site and I actually found the numbers from 2021 with COVID. I want to say we lived 2.7 to 2.3 million. So now we're at around a 2.3, 2.4 million. So, you know, it's a rough, a rough estimate. Yes, we're around two and a half million dollars, a two and a half million dollar budget, which again is somewhere in at least in the top four in the league. The 2020 numbers had us at number two. So why is it that we're telling people and I don't know who it is in the basketball program. I don't know who's whispering this stuff to people. Why are you telling people we're taking money, we're, we have no money, and we're taking it and giving it all to football when we have the second largest budget in a conference, and, and yet we're producing results like 13 and 14 in the regular season in eighth place? The correlation doesn't work well with me there. And so I, I got some clarification. The clarification I got was the fact that as of lately, as of this year, uh, I do know that uh, the teams, the teams that would come to Lafayette, right? We all talked about why we're not bringing good quality non-conference opponents. At one point, we were paying sixty thousand dollars or seventy thousand dollars for these teams to come. Right now, I think we're paying like fifteen or twenty thousand. I do know that uh, for the assistance, they did raise some money, but um, I don't know if it was enough. I think the assistant staff budget is one of the lowest in the league. But again, it makes me go back to ask: Where's all this money going? Believe it or not, some of this money goes to cost of attendance. So people may say, well, we're not paying the assistance enough, but then we're going to cost of attendance. What does that mean? We're one of only, I don't know if even if the entire conference, the entire Sundown Conference pays cost of attendance for the student athletes, but that's a recruiting tool that we use. So obviously, we, I don't know if we're not recruiting the athletes, or I don't know if we're not paying the coaches enough. All I know is I keep going back to that number, and we're number two in the Sunbelt. And that just kind of, it kind of opens up a discussion for you guys with this research is what do you guys think? Uh, is it a money problem with us? If it's number two in the conference, and obviously I know most of you can say it's the coach, but I, I don't like the fact we're hearing rumors about that, blaming the administration. I think the administration has been really generous with the basketball program. 
They have the Cajun Dome to play in, which I still hear criticism that apparently it's too big. I think that's nonsense. They still get to work out in the same weight room as football does. You know, since football gets everything, the basketball team still gets to work out in the same weight room. And again, we're Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, we have a great place. We have a tradition. We used to have a tradition, a winning tradition in basketball. And we have a recruiting base in a six-hour radius from here to Houston, up to Dallas, up to Little Rock, to Memphis, down to Mobile, to New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and back. So I guess I wanted to open up the discussion for you guys, you know, about that, about with our basketball budget correlating with the success. And my question is, if St. Peter's can do it at $1.6 billion with 2,200 students and a gym smaller than Lafayette High, and they're going to the Sweet 16, do you guys think that can be us? And why and why not? And I just want to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, you know, Jerry's right. And, and a, lot of, a lot of it, I think, is uh, when he mentions attendance, you know, nobody wants to see us play weak teams. I'm getting sick and tired of saying that, you know, G5s can't get anybody to come here. I mean, if that was the case, why don't G5s play other G5s? I mean, I kind of heard a uh, word around the campfire that Broadhead has actually got LSU wanting to come play us over here next year and come play us first before we play them. So I think a lot of it, Bob, just don't have the connections. I think it's time to move on. Uh, I'm just tired of the excuses. I think he's just saying that about the money just to get the monkey off his back. Uh, I really don't see – I see him returning for another year. I don't think Magger's going to let him go. I think we're just going to have to force him out. But – Men's basketball program can be a big thing at UL, but until we get another coach, uh, that I think that tendency is just going to keep dropping. And I really don't think more money in the program, if that is the case, will equate to more wins. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think, and, and look, I will say again, and I will say it every time I talk about Coach, I like Coach Marlin. He has always been a super nice, wonderful human being to me every time I've met him. So I never want to see somebody lose their job. That being said, I think our athletic department needs to hold every every sport to the same standard. Think about if we only if, if we had a head coach in baseball that only made a regional once in 13 years and pretty much bowed out every conference tournament. And, and and the the best we could do this year in this in the thirteenth year of being a baseball coach with one regional is get to the the championship game. We'd be, we'd have been calling for his head five years ago, right? And and we will be in two years if if Degs doesn't get us there. I think so. I want to see us hold every sport accountable the same as we do our successful. Because as Jerry pointed out, we have the resources. I read on a pod. Uh, a couple of years ago, Stadium put out this poll to, to baseball coaches in the Sun Belt saying, what is the number one desirable job in the Sun Belt as a basketball coach? Number one was Louisiana. Two was Georgia State. Shocked me. But that's what that's what coaches think of our problem. So it's not a lack of, I think, getting attention for this job. And yes, I said, I think that he should get a fair up well for next year. But what is that? what good is that going to do? You know, what What good is that really going to do? Yeah, we could, we could start the search now, but he's not Coach K. He's not a legend in Louisiana. We're not going to, you know, I think if, if I think if the athletic department right now has the decision to make, I think they need to make it now and not wait. Um, so I'll walk back those comments. But, again, hold them accountable, just like you hold every other sport accountable. I guarantee you if in football, uh, Dez, in five years, hasn't made one conference championship game. Uh, 
he, he, we're probably looking for another coach. So why why isn't everyone held to that same standard? I think one other thing I wanted to add, I forgot to mention that a lot of times, you know, mid-majors don't have the luxury. Like, look, we have RCAF, and I know RCAF is there for a reason. Any athletic foundation is there to fundraise for your programs. The reality is, though, is RCAF is understaffed. They don't have the P5 staff where some sports or some schools, uh, some P5 schools have one or two fundraisers per sport. And I'm not just talking about football, basketball, baseball, softball. I'm talking, you know, swimming, soccer. Uh, you know, some teams have, 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 have lacrosse. I mean, some schools have, uh, <laughs> I mean, some schools, some schools have gymnastics and, and some of these athletic foundations are, yeah, some of these athletic foundations have fundraisers at those schools for those particular sports to, to focus on those, sports, to be exclusive to those schools. We don't have that. So what does that mean? Well, sometimes the coaches have to go out and fundraise themselves and, I don't know how if basketball has done that as much or not. I mean, I'm pretty sure we all have the answer to that. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes his coaching staff is going to go out, have to go out and go raise money. And you know, you see it with football here. You've seen it with baseball here. I mean, Tony Robichaud was the master at fundraising. And when he when the athletic department told him no, we can't get the money for you, he goes, "All right, fine, I'll go raise the money." So. That comes with a price being a coach at a mid-major like ours. We don't have that luxury of, you know, just having an exclusive fundraiser for your sport. You have to go raise the money. And I think if, if that is a problem with basketball where they can't pay assistance, and look, I credit them. They raise some money for assistance and whatnot. But if you, got, if you need more money, you have to go to get it. And I think that's, that's just the key. Oh, wait, um, and that oh, includes coaches. How did Billy, Napier, win, how did Billy Napier pay his, his assistance? By winning, no, he took a pay cut. He could have taken that's all that all that auxiliary money and used it for himself. He he didn't need the money. He went and spent it on a, a winning staff with relationships and connections and recruiting pipelines. Why? True story. Why? I'll tell you this, man. I'll tell you. Years ago, when Rob was was coaching for us, and we had uh, we, I think the athletic department had to him and said, "Hey, we're gonna." we're going to start selling the outfield wall signs because Rogue sold them himself. And so they, he, Rogue kind of freaked out and he said, no, I can't sell. And they said, why? He said, because that's how we pay for our assistant coach by selling those, those outfield wall signs. So, I mean, it can be done. You got to get creative. You got to go take hands. You got to hold luncheons. You have to have coaches clinics. And, and I just don't, I, I'm not sure that that's for him. I think he wants to be a coach and that's it. And, and, that kind of is what it is, I guess. Well, Nick, if that's you know, true, think- if that's true, okay, I understand that. However, this is a mid-major program, buddy. You came from Sam Houston. You knew right. what a mid-major program was like, okay? You knew that that was part of the gig, and you're getting paid pretty damn handsomely to have this gig. If you can't figure out in year 12 that you need to get off your ass and go fundraise yourself to pay for whatever it is you need to pay for, like scheduling better teams and little sisters of the damn poor and having better assistance and all this other stuff. If you can't figure that out in a year, I mean, dude, the guy's been coaching for like 35 years. There's no way in hell you're going to be able to, to sell me on the idea that this is just now dawning on him. I mean, I can tell you stories from the social club of all the way that Marlon fundraises. It goes and asks the, the social club, hey, I need an extra, you know, X, Y, Z amount of money. That's how he, he fundraises. He doesn't have socials and all this other stuff. Well, I think it all comes back to what Nick said. We, we haven't held standards 
for all sports, and that comes back to part of the blames administration. I mean, look, let's face it. Barden's been here 12, 13 years. After five years, this guy should have moved on. UL is not a yeah. career 20-year job. It's a job that you should be here three to five years, kind of like Napier was, and then step up to a bigger job. If he hadn't stepped up by then, we should have got rid of the guy a long time ago. And y'all know the longer you hold somebody, I mean, the longer you hire, keep somebody hired when they should have went, the harder it is to get rid of them because you start letting emotions get into play. And that's, I mean, we're a victim of our own fault. I'm glad you brought that up, Jared, because one of the things that, you know, Coach Marlin accomplished last year, he's the winningest coach in the right? That was the big thing. Well, the reality is most Sunbelt coaches, and look, I don't want to be mean and take anything away from that accomplishment, but most of your good Sunbelt coaches, they don't stay long enough to break Sunbelt records. They leave. You know, Chris Beard from Little Rock went one year, or what is it, one or two years to Little Rock, turned him into a 35-win team, won the first round of the tournament. Now he's the head coach at the University of Texas. Why? Because he left. Went to, on his way there, he went to Texas Tech and put him in the, put him in the final, or the final four, right, years ago. So, you know, we can, we can talk about this till the, till the cows come home, but at the end of the day, you know, like you said, I mean, most of your Sunbelt coaches, and it's in any sport really outside of maybe baseball, you know, or, or even softball, right? But or for our standard, obviously. But most of the time, you're like Billy Napier. You 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 win, you show success, and then you leave for a better or bigger job or a better job but better pay, right? Not to take anything away from our jobs, but I mean, look, University of Florida, hey, you know, you can't say no to that. So, well, Jerry, that's the thing about the, the fact of the matter ahead. is, is that we have a bell curve job. You can become a household name moving on from Louisiana to a Florida. But if you stay longer, look at what happened to HUD. I mean, he stayed too yeah. long, and his value plummeted, and also he started to lose. But it, the, the two things happened at the same time. Hey, I wanted, to let, I wanted to let Isaac Henry get in. Isaac writes for the Vermilion. He does a great job with his journalistic pieces, and he's been waiting to speak for quite a while, so I want to let him uh, comment. Isaac, if you're still there, man, go ahead. No worries. Uh, I, I love the discourse. I love listening. Yeah, I don't think money is the issue at all. I think it's about the people – you know, at the top, just uh, need to have a longer-term vision. Speaking to what you're saying with, uh, you know, a five-year plan, that seems to be kind of a gold standard. And when you bring in talent like, you know, we talk about guys like Jordan Brown and Greg Williams, you know, power five talent. Uh, clearly, money is not a problem. So, uh, I don't really have much to add, but the same mental. No, good points, man. And really, the, the point I wanted to bring up about the whole thing about Coach Marlin being the winningest coach in the Sun Note, the reason why is because he's been here 12 years. You know, a lot of times if you look at, like I said, look at coaches, they don't stay here longer than five, five or six years in the Sun Belt because they get better jobs. And the problem, it's not the fact that he won all those games. The problem is, is they're using that as a crutch. Fans are using that as a crutch. Oh, well, he's the winningest coach. We can't, can't do it now. Well, well, you know, Keith Richard at UL Monroe is what, six games behind him right now? Yes. I mean, so, 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 you, you, what we've done is we've turned his accomplishment of being the winningest coach in the Sun Belt because he's been here for 12 years. And what have we done with it? We've, we've turned it into complacency. Most coaches don't have time to do that in this conference because they leave and get a better job. And we've, we've turned it into this accolade to where we've become complacent with that. And that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about, about standards and expectations. Look, you know, if you're someone like Tony Robichaux in a thousand games, the difference is is Tony Robichaux brought us to Omaha. He's hosted regionals here. He's given us the number one ranking in the country. You know, he's a, he's a, I mean, he's a college baseball legend. There's a statue of, of the man in front of our stadium. There's a difference between that and someone who has kind of bought time here 
and done just enough to keep their job and, and win all, you know, so many games only to always come up short. There's a difference there. And unfortunately, and that's, that's one thing that does kind of grind my gears a little bit is now we use the crutch where he's the winningest coach. Well, he's been here forever. I mean, it's, and again, Keith Richard at ULM is, is right below you in second place. Do you, that's a standard. What now is to be like the ULM basketball coach? And no disrespect to Keith Richard. I think he's a great coach with the resources he has. By the way, Monroe has like a tenth of our resources and look at what he's done there. But at the same time, you know, we've turned that into complacency. And that's why I think the standard is different with basketball than other sports is because that's, a, that's just one of many examples. And I just wanted to, wanted to, uh, to add that. That's good. And, um, one thing I wanted to add is that uh, a lot of teams uh, in college are taken away from, you know, uh, pro teams on the court strategy. But organizationally, you can take a lot from an NBA team. You think about the last two teams that made the finals, uh, Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks. Look at how they conducted their organizations, right? They brought in new coaches, uh, new head coaches, just drafted all new players, started with a fresh rebuild. Within five, six years, with sticking to that plan, they both made the finals. Right, so I think that's a smart idea to kind of roll with something like that. Have a five-year, six-year plan for a major major team. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally fair. Agreed. Uh, I think that's probably the next step that you see, uh, whether it's this year or next. Uh, I think that that's probably in the cards. I mean, that's essentially what happened with football and HUD. I mean, we we had the clean house pretty good. Andrew, I see you there. I know you want to holler at me. Go ahead, let me have it. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, I don't have too much to say. Uh, first, uh, Josh, I wanted to say, I hope that didn't come off as personal when I was getting after you on Twitter. I was just arguing the point. I wasn't trying to get after you personally. And, uh, oh, man, I thought you were going to get on here and start hollering and screaming. That would have been way better radio. <laughs> no, uh, I, I got it out of my system at this point. Uh, no, listen, listen before you make your point, I just want to tell you, I love the feedback. It, you, can't, you cannot offend me, so... Please tell me what you what you really think. I, I appreciated the feedback. Yeah, I mean, it. I listened to it, and I thought it was like, you know, you guys were kind of given, like, the fan side and the admin side, you know? And uh, I, I was expecting more fire. Like, I was expecting I was expecting y'all to sound like y'all sound tonight, to be honest. You know, y'all sound more well, fired up tonight. You know, to be honest, and, and look, Andrew, here's the thing, you know, Josh, nor me, nor Nick, nor Matt, we have no control of what the administration does. You know, we're just fans. So a lot of times it's almost like uh, you throw your hands up and you realize, like, you know, we can kick and scream all we want. At the end of the day, it's up to the administration to decide what they want to do, and we just have to live with it, right? Um, I think what got me upset was the other night when I see the fact that, you know, I don't know if it's Coach Marlin, I don't know who it is in that side of that basketball program is telling people we don't have money. And that's the reason why we're not succeeding and that, you know, uh, the, the administration is giving all the money to football and taking money away from them. And then I look and, and do my research and see that we're number two in conference in, in athletic and in basketball budgets. When I see St. Peter's, which has a million dollars less than we do in their budgets, go to the Sweet 16, I'm going to call nonsense on that, right? I mean, that's, that's what got me tonight because, you know, I, I kind of felt bad. Like, okay, maybe they don't have the resources. Maybe they're struggling a little bit. But then I, I see the opposite. I see the opposite. On, on, it's basic data. <laughs> and so, yeah, that makes me a little upset. You know, this whole thing about the farewell tour, you're going to go tell everybody that you don't have money and, and straight up try to deceive people. And, I mean, I don't know if you, people, I don't know if they are or not, but if you're doing that, if you really are doing that, then you don't deserve a farewell tour in my book. 
So yeah, that that kind of that kind of irritates me. Uh, irritates me a little bit. And and Andrew, to add on to that, you know, I'm sure you guys know by now that we we hear things kind of ahead of the curve. We were kind of trying to prepare our our people. Uh, you know, a pretty decent amount of people listen to the pod now, so we were trying to kind of soften the blow. We 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 think that that's what's going to happen, and now you're already starting to hear the rumors. So I didn't want to attack it and then be. You know, the fan base you know, be super upset. It was kind of like we, we wanted you guys to know that this was kind of in the works without outright saying it. And I, the, the, I, my idea was the, the way we presented that is to give the fan perspective and the perspective from Brian. And, I, you know, that's why I kind of went that route. I probably should have got more pissed off about it. But, you know, I thought that yeah. was the right way to proceed at the time. Yeah, I hear you, man. I'm not knocking you guys at all. I love what y'all do. And so the point of what Jerry was just talking about, I mean, you guys have pointed out, I don't remember exactly what y'all called it, but the propaganda machine that it is basketball. I mean, they're always throwing out some stat or some reason justifying what this program has become. I mean, at this point, I keep hearing this, you know, over the last 12 years, we have the second most wins in the belt. And I've posted about this. You look at what that really is. It, we started out okay with Bob looking like we had some promise. And then the last four years, since the number one team, since the team we finished first, we've gone fifth, tied for eighth, fourth, and eighth. That's two eighth-place finishes in four years. And, and to add to what you just said, Andrew, so they, everybody likes to talk about over the past eight years or nine years since 2015, they've won the second most games. But, you know, one thing about – or the second most games in conference, one thing we know about – but one thing we know about the coaching industry, it's what have you done for me lately? You know, with Coach Hud, Coach Hud, first four years you go to the bowl games, you go nine and compete for conference championships. The last three years, he, he had losing seasons and he was gone. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Here, the last four years, not only have you not been uh, achieving your, your goals, but if you look at those finishes that you just mentioned, you know, we like to talk. They like to talk about. Oh, well, we had the second most wins since 2014 behind Georgia State for well, the last four years. A full, a full graduating class. The last four years, we are six, six most wins in the conference. Now, is that because they have no money? Is that because money is being reallocated to football? No, no, it's not. Because from what I remember, I remember the coaching staff talking about how we were the standard four years ago, how we had the nicest gym four years ago, how everybody reared their Super Bowl, and whenever they beat us, they celebrate like they won the Final Four, because that's what it's like to beat the Cajuns, and now all of a sudden, it's, well, we don't we don't have this. You can't you can't change tunes like that, man. You can't change tunes. When you, it's like what you talked about with Dayton, what guys talked about with baseball here. When you set that type of standard for yourself, you're telling everybody that you're the real deal, you can't back it up. Don't, don't, don't change them. Don't don't flip flop on us, man. Because we're not we're not gonna fall for it. Not not dumb. Yeah, in college basketball, if there's no end goal, like no playoffs, then yes, keep Bob Marlin for the rest of our lives and keep breaking records. But there's something called March Madness, and we're trying to get there. Thirty three years of coaching, two tournament appearances. I'll just leave it at that. Ouch. That's really good, dude. I don't know about cool. I literally just googled it. The Peacock coach Shaheen Holloway. He's in his fifth year. Also, he's in his 40s. I'll just leave it at that. That is outstanding. Listen, the propaganda mill has got to turn, boys. They got to use something. They got to have something to post on Twitter to make everything look great. I mean, that's how it, that's how Mike Murphy does business. That's how it's done. 
Big Shot Miguez, what you got, man? I see you joined. Matt has joined the chat, folks. What's up, guys? Yo, hey, buddy. What up, what up? We got a local celebrity in the house. We got a local celebrity. Get out of here with that. But no, man, I, so I've been kind of listening, been kind of observing. Uh, I'm also trying to do work watching LSU women's basketball right now. But um, so I, I agree with the point about it being a five-year plan. Hey, Matt, did they tell you ahead of time you had to watch LSU women's basketball to get the job? Because that sounds horrible. <laughs> it's not bad, man. They're good. They're, they're a three seed. I'll start calling you Tim Buckley at the advertisement because that's the all he tweets. Hey, hey, Tim Buckley's my guy. But anyways, <laughs> but anyways, man. So the the five year plan I, I agree with, but at the same time, and, and I'm going to give Marlon a little bit of credit here. He's kind of had an interesting case because if you look at his five year plan, he, he's kind of had multiple of those, right? Right as his seat starts to get warm in that five-year plan, he wins. Because he came here in 2010. 2014, we go to the tournament. Okay, so your five-year plan resets. So from 2014 to 2019, right? 2017, he wins 27 games and wins the regular season tournament. So then that five-year plan resets. So now you're here at 2022. Now's the time that something's got to give, right? The problem that we're running into is that the administration's not giving. The, the rumors that we've heard that, you know, this is going to be Bob's last year and kind of be a, a swan song type thing. If that's the case, then, then fine. But that needs to be, heavily documented before the season begins. No question. Otherwise, you have to tell the fan base out in front, handshake, right. do it on camera. I don't care how they make the agreement. It uh, has otherwise, to be told or it is, not, it is null and void in my opinion. You think the Cajun Dome is empty now? Wait until next year. But Matt, my question is, so what, what, good does, what good does another year do? I mean, I get it. We want a nice guy. I love Marlon. I don't want to lose him. But what is another year going to be other than probably the same thing? No attendance. We're going to have, you know, some more frustrating. And then what happens if at the end of next year, let's say he does make the NCAA tournament, which I'm not saying he wouldn't. Then you got people talking to him. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, and and this might sound like a cop out answer, but I think one of the things that another year does is that it, it keeps one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in the university's bank account. Um. Yeah, but how how much does it cost you on the ticket on uh, concessions at the dome, advertising, well, ticket a, sales? That, that's a that that's a graph that I would love to see. Um, I would love to see that comparison. And I think another thing that it does is that, you know, it, it's your way of telling Bob, thank you for what he has done for this program. Give him the chance to, you know, quote unquote, right off into the sunset. I mean, I guess the sunset is sixth place in the conference, but I don't know. It, it gives him it gives him the opportunity to go out on his terms rather than firing him. 
Uh, yeah, your point's well taken, and I think there's value in that. We covered that in the last episode. I think there's value in that. However, if you're looking at it on paper, and if I'm a fan, I'm not happy with that. I still think that you can sell the swan song. Shout out Nick D for the swan song thing. That was perfect. Uh, I, th- I think you can sell that to some segment of your fan base. But, man, it's going to be rough, especially if they're not winning. If it's the swan song and they're winning, maybe you have something there. If it's the swan song season and they're losing, oh, man, that's going to be tough. Yeah, winning will fix everything um, for sure. Uh, the thing about five-year plan, six-year plan, whatever you want to call it, is it's got to come with some luck, right? You have to just get lucky at the right time. It comes down to that when you're a mid-major, uh, which St. Peter's has been very fortunate and very lucky uh, with a lot of their games. On top of you know obviously being highly skilled and well coached, but I think that not yeah, not, I think that there's a case for not giving the extra year because let's say we bring in a new coach today, right, with fresh ideas, fresh blood, you know, a fresh uh, org. It gives them time to ramp up for their plans. You know what I mean? I do. I, I think it's a complicated situation. I wouldn't want to be Brian Maggard. I'll tell you that. Um, all right, boys. We've kept y'all for a little bit longer than we expected. we got about four minutes left. Anybody has any parting shots, last-minute comments they want to make, any questions? Well, I'll say this. Make sure you guys listen to Crunch Time. Freaking shameless plug. When you, hey, when are you going to plug Rage and Review on that damn radio station? <laughs> I'll throw it in there subtly every now and again. Absolutely brutal. Hey, my uh, my nephew's the CD or MD or whatever. It's good shit. You come to me. Good old CD. Good old CD. Hey, funny story real quick, Nick. On our very first Twitter space, I didn't know how to work this damn thing. Uh, so I had my mic on. And <laughs> I've been calling him up. that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Call that dude a booger eater on the uh, on the Twitter space. <laughs> uh, you know, I never told him that, but I, I... <laughs> shameful, shameful. <laughs> sorry for all the, the wrestling fans. I'm sorry. I just equate the two things together. Hey, Clint's, Clint's a good guy, man. That's shameful. I'm sure he is. All right, everybody. Thank you for coming to our TED talk. Really enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to try to do this more often. You know, it's kind of tough from time to time. We're able to do it and it's pretty easy like tonight, but you know, last weekend you had the open, you had festival, you had so many things going on and we're on the road. So you kind of get away from the game more. It's easier when you go to the Teague and you just go home and start doing the space. So we're going to do our absolute best to be more consistent with that. I think it's good. I think it's good content and, uh, it helps, you know, kind of keep that relationship going with our listeners. So, uh, Uh, If you guys have any feedback or any ideas that we can do or improve, please send it. We always read your feedback. And, uh, I mean, obviously, we we thrive on it. It helps us to improve. So, thanks again. Thanks for coming. Appreciate all the comments. Thanks for the participation. Go ahead, G. Yeah, I was going to say, I just want to thank everybody for coming on here. You know, we we, we, we come up with these things, and we try to come up with some good content for all of you. Uh, But at the end of the day, I just want to say that – you know, we love the Cajuns. Uh, regardless, I know today was a little bit, of a, uh, like you said, a TED Talk, but it was more of a, a venting session because uh, we love our teams. But, uh, you know, there's still hope, and, and the beauty of it is we get to play another day. So, um, you know, starting Wednesday night, hopefully the baseball team can take care of business, and hopefully we can come back with a little bit of happiness next week. But 
I just want to say the conversations were great. Participation was great tonight. So thank all of you for uh, coming in, listening, and chiming in as well. I'm glad to be here. Yes, indeed. Please visit more often. Isaac, Nick D, thank you. Matt, thanks for stopping in. See you all next week. Later, boys. Steve, bye.